Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You are about to listen to an episode of the Audio Signals Podcast with Marco Ciappelli. In this new season, Audio Signals is repositioning its antennas, focusing not just on the stories, but on the storytellers. In our modern hybrid analog digital society, the art of storytelling has never been more vital or displayed such a diverse array of forms. Recognizing this, our conversations will spotlight the narrators, providing a unique exploration into the minds behind the narratives. From authors to podcasters, visual artists to songwriters, and everything in between, we will engage with all who contribute to this extraordinary tapestry of human experience. We are all made of stories after all. Hello, everybody. This is Audio Signal Podcast. As you know, in the last few episodes, I've been repositioning the antennas to capture even more story, and not only to focus on the stories, but on the storytellers. And in a way, I like to think we're all made of stories. Even when you go outside at the grocery store, maybe you're telling a story about yourself, the way you dress, the way you interact with people. So we, we're made of that from the time that we were sitting around the fire and to then uh, the invention of the press, the radio, and then now the TV, the internet, and all of that. But there are people that tell really good story. And my guest today, uh, I had the honor to interact with him through the Mentor Project. He did a fantastic presentation. And boy, does he has stories to tell. <laughs> I'm excited for the people watching. Uh, Dr. Joseph Dituri is here with me. And for the people listening, here it is. Joseph, welcome to the show. I'm very excited about this. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, great, uh, great time. I guess by way of a little bit of an introduction, I can give you a guess a little bit of a feedback on me. Uh, I, I spent 28 years in the United States Navy as a diver and special operations officer. And uh, when I retired from that, I retired out of special operations command here in Tampa. Stayed in the same spot, but I wanted to do something different. Uh, aside for going back to work for Uncle Sam. So I decided to go get a PhD in biomedical engineering. And now what we're doing is we're fixing brains. So the traumatic brain injury that the service member gets, I'm now helping to go ahead and fix that. So that's kind of what we're doing right now. And, uh, and like I said, we did that 100 days underwater to, uh, to basically do exactly what Special Operations Forces does, which is win the hearts and minds. So we're trying to capture the world into understanding what we want to talk about. Yeah, and that's just a short version of your <laughs> bio, I guess, because uh, if you go to your website, uh, drdipsy.com, you can see you're involved in speaking, like you wrote a book, you're in education and, and teaching STEM and, and getting people excited about the what's down there in the ocean. And actually what struck me a lot about the presentation you did was the was the end of it. When you talked about you want to go in space after you've been, you know, in the ocean, and, and you explained that exactly the reason why the resources that we have down in the ocean and how uneven, in a way, the budget for doing that exploration is. So yeah. I don't know. We we can start from that, but this is about storytelling. So we definitely want to know about the hundred days. In, uh, yeah. So uh, well, well, let's start with where we spend our money. Basically, a huge portion of the budget goes towards space, 
200, 300, 400 billion dollars goes towards space, space exploration. If we spent a tenth of that money looking in, let's agree, our world is covered with water, 70%, give or take. Now, the oxygen in the world, 60 to 70% of it comes from that ocean. There's a little tiny microscopic organism known as Profluorococcus that basically does the same thing as trees do on land. Profluorococcus does it underwater or on the water. And we produce a large portion of the world's ocean, the world's oxygen from the world's ocean. So maybe we should start thinking about taking care of it. Now, I'm not a political, you know, I'm not trying to uh, engender change, except that I want people to understand. And if you understand, I'm not complaining that the space people get more money. I'm just saying we should program more money towards research in the ocean. Last time we truly did research in the ocean, truly, the Navy did it in the uh, in the late 60s, early 70s uh, for Sea Lab. So it's coming on 60 years when we were doing Sea Lab. One was about uh, just a little under 60 years ago. Uh, so, you know, we're talking a long time ago that we haven't done a lot of research. So it's time to go back. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, for sure. And how do we tell these stories and how are you telling this story to the new generation? I, I saw uh, pictures and you can see that on the website as well of while you were sitting in this tank um, underwater, you were busy. You were not just sitting there, <laughs> you know, <laughs> waiting and watching the fish go by, although I, you told that you, you, you did that too. But you had kids coming and visiting schools, you were doing webcasts and podcasts the whole time. I mean, you, you're you doing a lot to tell exactly what you said. That there is a ton that we don't know about the ocean. Sure. And, uh, and, and the resources about finding a cure for disease and, and all of that, that, you know, we look up and it's great. I mean, I I talk to astronauts on this show and I'm, I'm crazy about that stuff. But I also remember as a kid, Cousteau, you know, a kid of the 70s and, and all these adventures in, in discovering the ocean. We, we yeah. don't talk about that anymore. You're right. Well, you know what happened was, you know, Cousteau was great, but Cousteau was basically a loose cannon, right? He was going <laughs> off. And if you've ever seen Steve Zusa, it's a perfect understanding of the money problem that he had. Cousteau was always going out, always trying to tell a story, come back, get more money so that he could do more exploration. You didn't see the astronauts going out and stemping and trying to raise money and doing film festivals and things like that. You didn't see any of our astronauts doing that. They were well-funded. However, the aquanauts were out here begging on the corner, hey, you got a dollar? We'll, we'll dive for a dollar, you know? And, it, and it's just horrible. Uh, but it shows, you know, when we don't look into that portion of the world, then we have problems with that portion of the world, right? I mean, the oceans are uh, obviously heating up. It's obvious. I mean, I don't care where you sit on the climate, uh, you know, climate change model, the ocean temperature is rising. It's calculated, right? It is rising. Now, whether or not that's from the mantle itself and the core is leaking into the mantle and, you know, we're, we're heating up from there or whether it's global warming, I, I'm not here to determine that. But I am here to tell you that those temperatures are rising and I'm not sure that we can do anything about it, but we should always try. So, 
Yeah. So tell me about how you decided to to say, you know, if I spend a hundred days under the water, um, I'm gonna capture some news. I mean, you're pretty much you, you want the story to be heard. Yeah. Never thought I would capture any news. I figured I'd get some local uh, local insight and it would be good. But honestly, as I sat in the wings, because when you do, when you are waiting to get on a TV or a news uh, show, they put you in the wings and you get to actually watch the news, which is something I never actually do. So I'm watching the news and it's like, well, there's a uh, tractor trailer truck uh, jackknifed up on the I-95. Two police officers were shot. This person, and and you're just like bad news, bad news, bad news, bad oh, news, bad news. Oh, and then coming up next, we meet a doctor who's living underwater, and I'm like, no wonder why it was like I was the only good news thing on TV. So no wonder why it it blew up the way that it did, right? So here's the way that it started. <laughs> so it goes back to 2012. I'm retiring from the Navy and I get a call from James Cameron's people. Mm. They say, hey, listen, um, Jim wants you to come out to the house. I'm like, Jim who? Like, James, James, James Cameron, you know, a filmmaker. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, sure. sure. <laughs> send, send me a ticket. Like, who believes that? Right. I figured it was one of my buddies putting me up to it. Now, remember, I'm a submersible expert from the U.S. Navy. I retired. I'm a submersible guy. I got a call and he wants me to come out and look at his submersible. So I get out there and before you know it, walking his dog on the beach, talking the whole story, working the whole thing, you know, in his garage at his house in California, you know, so like evaluating and looking at his submersible and the intrinsic value and the extrinsic value and everything that came from his life and time when he did that 35,000 foot dive. Turns out he goes to the bottom of Marianne's Trench and he finds a sea lice. Now, sea lice for us in Florida, they're teeny tiny and they'll kind of like bite you and it'll be like a bee sting. Not a big deal. At 35,000 feet, they're this big. Well, that's pretty big. So when they, he captured it, he didn't even know what he was capturing. He captured it. We pull a DNA sample from it. I'm going to save the great gory science detail, but it turns out it's a partial cure for Alzheimer's. Yeah. Wait, let me say that again a different way. It's a partial cure for a disease that afflicts humanity was existing 35,000 feet below the surface of the ocean. We never knew it was there because we never looked. How long has it been there? Maybe since the beginning of Alzheimer's disease, maybe before Alzheimer's disease, disease the cure existed, right? So I sit back and it's December 24th of 2012. And I'm at my desk. I put my arms behind my head and I put my legs up on the table and I'm like, we have to live in the ocean. And all my friends are like, what? And I'm like, no, no, no. Everything we need is here on this planet. We have the yin, we have the yang. We have the dark, we have the light. We have the disease. We have the cure. Oh. <laughs> and then I go, we have to live underwater. And everybody's like, oh, he's lost it. He's absolutely nuts. Yep. No, gone. Yeah. So long story short, I start pushing in that direction. That was 2012, December. So by October of 2019, we're ready to rock and roll. We do the preliminary, uh, you know, experiments for it. Five days underwater, five people, five days. That place is entirely too small for five people. Uh, that place is entirely too small to spend five days with five people. Uh, so that was kind of tight. But long story short, uh, COVID hit. And then we kind of got pushed back to 2013, uh, 2023. And I wound up being the only one that could commit the financial requirement for it. 
So I did because I think it's valuable. So I personally threw my own money into this five figures into needing to be down there for a hundred days. And I still didn't have enough money to do it all. So the uh, Marine Resources Developmental Foundation ponied up the rest of the money and said, well, we'll let you work. But what we're going to do is we're going to fill the other side with visiting scientists and kids. And and I said, well, that's perfect because it's exactly what I want to do anyway. Ta-da. Now we're staying underwater for a hundred days. So. That's cool. So I'm, I'm reading a note here that you engaged during that time with more than 5,000 students from 15 different countries, and you work with a lot of medical doctors to see what happened to you, your yep. body, the human body living there. And actually, it wasn't like coming back from space where you have like less bone mass, you have like a lot of issues, and you actually improved, if I remember well, from the story you told us. So most um, a things, lot of your data's right. Yeah, most things improved. Um, however, a couple of things didn't. Uh, astronauts are in tension, so they are constantly, basically, stretching apart. We aquanauts are in compression, mm. so I lost about three quarters of an inch. I like to tell everybody the bad stuff because nobody remembers <laughs> until you you emphasize the bad stuff because uh, right. there are a couple of bad things. I was myopic for about a week, maybe 10 days afterwards. So okay. basically that means I was nearsighted because my vision is pretty poor uh, when you're looking long distances, but you, underwater you can always see a max of 17, 16 feet. So I became myopic to the point where I could see 16 or 17 feet. Your eyes are very compensatory or they compensate a lot. Mm. But you're right. I did have great things happen to me. I had to, a decrease in every single inflammatory marker in my body. A uh, uh, Overall, my sleep went from about 30 to 33% in deep and REM to 60 to 66% in deep and REM. Uh, I, uh, you, you know, I, uh, I, I did not lose significant mass in my arms and legs because I was using some sort of thing that I plan on using in space to try and get the bone, the muscle loss to not go the way that it would normally do, right? The atrophy from disuse, right? From being in a zero gravity environment. And I truly wasn't in a fully zero gravity environment, but, you know, kind of sort of good enough. Mm -hmm. uh, not really, but, you know, it is, it is pseudo on that. Um, but, you know, so lots of good things came out of it. Uh, I had a decrease in cortisol. Now, cortisol is a stress hormone. So when that cortisol dropped, and we're talking going from the mid 80s uh, to, to less than to single digits, basically. When you have a drop in cortisol, you have a corresponding, a corresponding increase in what? Testosterone. Wait a minute. Wait, we have a natural way of increasing testosterone. Hold on a second. <laughs> you now have my attention, right? So there's a lot of good things that came out of it. I mean, 50 to 70 million Americans alone uh, suffer from sleep problems. Holy mackerel. Uh, that's, that's, that's a ton of people, man. That's a high percentage of our entire population. So maybe we can work on something to find a cure or help for people who don't sleep well. You know, lots of good things have come out of it, but more questions than answers at this point. Right. Right, right. How do these kids, the students that you interact with, react to that? I mean, do you think you you can really create that sparkle? Because isn't that like everybody's dream where you're telling story and you're motivated? You you want to really inspire. Uh, yeah. I mean, you don't want to tell them what to do, but you want kind of like work that story in a way that they 
they they decide that this is quote a cool thing to do themselves. So that, were they excited? Tell me about this relationship because I'm excited about yeah. this sharing of knowledge and and bring it the next generation. Yeah, no. So so here's the scoop. When you show kids that you are a normal person that cares for them and their well-being and understanding and you're passionate about something, they're hooked and sold, right? So if you have passion and you can't fake passion, I can't teach you to have passion for something. You either have passion or you do not have passion. Uh, but when I showed them how much passion I had and I gave them open, open, uh, you know, open right to ask me any question whatsoever. These kids, they went crazy. They asked questions that were off the deep end, but I'm telling you, these were great questions. You know, you're, they're asking um, legal questions about what it would be like to inhabit the, um, you know, the sea floor. I mean, I'm like, I'm floored by some of the questions that I got. And I'm like, you know, I had to take a pass on a couple going, look, I, ju I just don't know. That's not my area of expertise. I would hope that we would be kind and do stuff this way. However, comma, I'm not a lawyer. So, you know, and, and the other thing is when you show them that you are vulnerable, like you become yeah. vulnerable to the kid and go, listen, I don't know, but let's go look it up together. Let's Google it. I don't know, you know, but but so then we look it up together and then I can explain the answer a little bit. Man, the kids were so hooked that when we wound up, when they wound up leaving, I mean, I got letters that you wouldn't believe. People that were like, you, you inspired me to want to teach. And that's the greatest compliment in the world. Because, you know, oh, yeah. if, if I could have a teacher, if I could have only had a teacher like you, I would have been more successful. Wow. That either that says a lot of bad things about the current teachers or, you know, yeah. So I don't know, but hopefully we're uh, we're lending in the right direction. We're leaning in the right direction, if you will. Yeah. So one thing I'm curious, and it may have even been a question that a kid asked you, because if I were a kid, I would ask you that. It's like, why are we not living under the ocean? Why? I mean, I I, I know I've seen enough movies where the, the even Cameron itself. One of the problem is the, the pressure that you get when you get down there, and yeah. technology is definitely getting better, but. Um, yeah. Is it even a possibility? To yeah, it's hard, right? Yeah. It's hard. And the human physiology hasn't really been worked out. Now, we believe, our team believes that we are at human tolerance for uh, pulmonary oxygen toxicity, which is a uh, something that will come over our bodies when we are exposed to too high a level of oxygen. Now, while I was down there, I was breathing air. Now, air but I have the advent of the partial pressure, the increased partial pressure, because I'm breathing at about 1.7 times the atmosphere that you and I are at right now. I'm breathing 1.7 times that. So it's 1.7 times the 21% oxygen. So that increase in oxygen, even though it's only the partial pressure of oxygen, my body doesn't know the difference. So in saturation diving, our maximum time that we are allowed to stay at, uh, 0.5 or 50% oxygen perceived, even uh, even in, you know, uh, breathing, partial pressure. So the perceived partial pressure of oxygen, 0.5, we're only allowed to stay there for 35 days max. So I was breathing about 0.36, give or take, partial pressure of oxygen. 
And it turns out that we're only allowed to stay there for about a hundred days. So we'd have to change the gas mix that where we were breathing. We'd have to, it was a lot, there's lots of things that have to go into this. There's a lot of thought. That's the mm. problem. Is there's a lot of thought. Hmm. Yeah. Cause I mean, there's a lot of thought in going to live on the moon on a base there, going to live on Mars. I mean, that sounds pretty complicated too. So <laughs> Yeah, well, like I said, you know, there's the concept or the idea of going to Mars and then there's the actual reality. Mm -hmm. The reality of going to Mars is I have a question. What are we going to eat on the way there? Yeah. What are we going to eat? Oh, we'll just we'll just have a bunch of tuna fish or potatoes. <laughs> where where are we going to where are we going to put the cans? <laughs> like, like we I have I've so many like we we're going to drink water. Okay, that's great. And we can re-drink our urine. That's that's true. It does happen. You can do it. But as you well know, there's a lot of line loss. There's about 20% line loss, which means you need to have a renewable stock of drinking water. Mm -hmm. And where do we get that in space? Yeah, that's this is hard. We have hard questions that need answers. And this is why we need the kids. Because mm -hmm. you and I, I mean, I'm 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 your age for crying out loud. I'm, I'm older than you. But, uh, you know, at the point of doing this, uh, I'm not going to Mars. I'm just going to go right out there and say, because it's not going to happen in my lifetime. Maybe it will only because I intend to live to 110. But, you know, in my Good. perceived life. I'll, I'll come with you. wherever. Come you with me to 110. <laughs> you have to go to the gym first. And then you have to, there's so many things you have to do. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. oh, yeah. Talking about gym and about the, adventures and the future uh you're part of the explorer club i remember you mentioned something about that so being a big fan of i don't know not fantasy the lord of the ring i'm rereading it now the fellowship of the ring you know i'm fascinated by all the explorer back in the days uh that really didn't know where they were going they were literally sure. jumping on a boat and who knows where i'm going and if i'm coming back but exactly. we did it anyway you know, going to the top of Mount Everest, going here and, and losing lives. So where I'm going with this is we read adventure, we watch movie, we imagine the impossible. And some people, they, they actually try to do it. You know, I read it, but some people like you, you actually go down there. So let's talk about the importance of getting fascinated by exploring and taking risk as part of the human uh, nature, maybe, and and how it does inspire kids. I mean, you read a book as a kid, you, you're going to want to probably do that kind of stuff. Yep. So here, here's the basic premise. Pick up any old map. And I'm talking old, right? A chart, right? What are there on the borders? All the way circling the borders. Oh, yeah. Creature and monsters. And... Creatures and monsters, right? <laughs> so what's yeah. our job as humans? So just push those monsters off the map, right? Uh, mm -hmm. We're pushing monsters. That's what we're doing on a daily, right? So this is not mine. I mean, this is, this is a famous saying, but we are. We're pushing monsters. And it's not just that. It's not just the exploration. It's coming back and telling people about it. I met the indigenous tribe of wherever, and they taught me whatever, right? And because it's that your addition, right? It's that learning what happened out there and then coming back and educating the world. What do we have left? I mean, we are solving world hunger as we speak. We're literally getting a handle on our garbage. Oh, if we don't, I, I can't imagine what's going to mm. happen. Let's just say yeah. that we are. What's <laughs> left? 
exploration and that's it. And where's the place that we haven't explored? We've climbed to the top of the mountain. We've bought, we, and many people go to Mount Everest right now, right? It's easy, not easy, but it happens, right? Yeah. And so I'll give you a, uh, I'll give you an analogy. Like when John Krakauer wrote his book, uh, Into Thin Air, right? Lots of people died that year on the mountain. Uh, I want to say it was 2000, 2000, maybe. I don't remember. But lots of people died on the mountain that year. Would you think that it would dissuade people from going? Nope. Increase sales the next year to go because it's dangerous. And if, you know, like we just had a, a disaster going to the Titanic and it's hard. It's pressure is hard in the water. It's difficult, right? So we have that kind of a disaster and people are like, well, what do you think? Is it going to dissuade people from doing uh, subsea exploration? I'm like, nope, they're going to double down. People are going to double down and they're going to explore more. That's at least what I hope, but it's the only frontier left on earth, right? And about 28 people have been to the bottom of the Marianas Trench. Um, 656 people have been to space. Mm. 656, 28. Hmm. And the, the 28, most of those, uh, three had gone up until 2012. So most of those have been in the last 18 months, year, a year and a year, almost two years in the last two years. And that's it, right? Before mm -hmm. that, it was only three. <laughs> yeah. And we, we have to resolve a lot of issues. I mean, a lot of rockets have exploded be before we got there. And and uh, it's fascinating. I mean, the adventures that these guys oh, yeah. have lived and, and women. I mean, I I had Aileen Collins uh, on two show and she was the first commandant of of Space Shuttle as a woman and a fantastic person. And, and uh, I read her book. And she was a test pilot because that's the only way you could have as a woman to actually <laughs> become that because you couldn't come from the military uh, as a jet pilot. And when she described the risk that the test pilot takes in experimenting with airplane, you're like, oh, my God, this is a different brain. Completely. Oh, yeah. it, uh, it's incredible. But even when I think about what you do and, and when people go down in the ocean, it, for me, it's, it's really, I don't know, there is more similarity than than differences for me. Aquanauts to astronauts, the pathway to success. Every single, Joe's opinion, every single <laughs> successful astronaut has been an aquanaut. Mm. And I mean, we train people for astronauts in the water. Every single True. one of them is trained in the water. Not, not all of them. All of them are trained, right? So it's like, ah, we train people in the water. Why don't we just pull from the people who already explore the ocean? Mm -hmm. That's at least my opinion. You want to you want to go in space, right? I want to go in space. That's uh, that's a goal. Let, let's let's finish with that. Tell me about the next adventure. <laughs> so my next thing that I'm doing right now is I have a zero gravity flight planned, and I'm going to test. I test those muscle devices for making sure that uh, you could keep your same size muscle while you're in a zero gravity environment or a less gravity environment, uh, you know, or, a, 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 you know, a simulated gravitational environment. So we're hoping to track that on the zero G flight 
first time we're flying those cuffs in space. And we're going to see, because if we're going to fly to Mars, we have real problems. Like you spend 200 days on the International Space Station. You come down. I have to carry you off of the lander. Doesn't matter what the lander is. I have to carry you off. 200 days. That's how long it's going to take to get to Mars. Okay, great. Who's going to carry us off on Mars? I realize the gravity is different, but still, we're going to be atrophied. And then what's it going to be like on the way home? It's a year and a half. It's two-year round-trip mission to Mars. I mean, I, I know I'm ballparking it. I know there's a possibility to slingshot around the moon and get there faster. I'm not talking about any of that stuff, but I'm talking about a basic orbital mechanic says it's going to be about a two-year trip. And a two-year trip is a long time to spend in space, baby. Yep. You better a figure lot, that out. A lot can happen. All you need to do is watch some sci-fi, and you, you know that. Right, right. Which, One electrical storm from the sun. Yep. One, you have no crew. They're gone. But right? you know what? Like, like you said, people are going to do it. I'm going to do it. We are. I'm sure we're going to do it. <laughs> yeah, Incredible. Exactly. Look, a uh, ton of fantastic stories. I, I hope, as I say often, that when people listen to this show, they get excited, they get passionate, they have more questions than answers, I right? I mean, if you get more questions at the end of a conversation and people go and start searching for for answers and ideas and maybe they'll contact you and that's what i invite them to do hashtag winning it's a winning. winning exactly so right. i i'm excited about this conversation uh i invite people to go to uh, your website drdeepc.com but also there'll be notes in the in this podcast if you're watching on youtube uh you know not much to see but here we are so if that's your yeah. thing there is the notes down there subscribe and uh, definitely uh, get in touch with Joseph. Uh, fantastic uh, stories. I hope uh, a little a little different than, than when we talk about a book, of course. But uh, I think it's real stuff. It's real stuff. And, and you did it. Joseph, thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. I, I hope I'll get to chat more with you again. Take care. You can always talk. Thanks. All Cheers. Right. Take care. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Audio Signals with Marco Ciappelli. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then add this show to your favorite podcast player, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and share the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to connect your brand to our conversations and our audience, visit itspmagazine.com to learn how to sponsor one or more of our shows. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.